Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back the leading authority in cellular health and detoxification, Dr. Daniel Pompa. cells don't adapt. Fasting is a stress that creates, forces cells to adapt. So the good cells get stronger and your bad cells die off and get weaker. So with each fast, you're getting stronger cells. With each fast, you're getting rid of the bad cells. With each fast, you're basically creating a body that's more and more metabolically flexible. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Well, hello, Keto Campers. Okay, I have to say this right from the start, and I'm not just hyping you up here. This episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, this interview of the Keto Camp Podcast with Dr. Pompa was probably my all-time favorite. Oh my gosh. We deep dive into all angles of fasting. Yes, intermittent, block, extended, dry fasting, wet fasting, How do you know when to break a fast? How do you know if a fast is working for you? How do you wrap your head around the fact that you want to do your first block fasting? And so much more. This is a deep dive into his recent book, Beyond Fasting, which you have to get. It's the best book on fasting that you will read. So go get that book first and foremost, and you can find a link for it in the notes of this podcast. But I got to share with you this. We get into much more than just fasting the advice he shares, life advice that Dr. Pompa shares at the end of this episode gave me goosebumps. And the advice he shared was priceless. It could really make a difference for you. And I also cap off this episode because I feel like we left one thing out, which I made sure we included it. And that's how to break a block fast because how you break the fast is just as important as the fast itself. So I went a little bit further after this interview was over and I decided to add it to the end of this episode because I want this to be the complete fasting podcast episode that you will ever listen to. Yes, that's a bold claim, but I believe that this is probably the last, if you were only going to listen to one episode on fasting, this would be that episode because we cover all areas. So if you're intermittent fasting, block fasting, or thinking about doing it, This is the episode for you because I truly believe, and I say it on the episode with Dr. Pompa, he is the most brilliant person in the health space. I call him the GOAT, the greatest of all time. He is a world leader. And look, I was saying this before I was even working with Dr. Pompa. He's my personal coach. He's my mentor. We work together with 50 other amazing platinum doctors. But I was saying this, and I had these thoughts and views on Dr. Pompa before I even knew him. So yes, I am biased. But I was saying this beforehand, and I can't wait to share him on this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I am so excited for it. Uh, Before I bring him on here, I want to acknowledge you and say thank you so much 
for listening to the Keto Camp Podcast. And if you're new, welcome. Uh, it's good to have you on this episode and hopefully you listen to some more. Here at Keto Camp, we're on a mission to educate and to inspire 1 billion people on planet Earth. What we cover here on the Keto Camp Podcast is everything related to keto, to fasting, to sleep, to performance, all things ancient healing strategies. So if you're interested in any of those topics, you're definitely in the right spot. Hit the subscribe button to this podcast if you haven't done so already. Or if you have been subscribed and you're getting value from it, please take a second here to pause this and to leave the show a rating and review. It really makes a big difference for the podcast. I also love it when you take a screenshot of these episodes and you post it on Instagram. Please do so right now. Take a screenshot, post it on Instagram, tag me and tag Dr. Pompa. When I see it, I'll share it on my stories and we'll get some other keto campers following you back. My Instagram handle is at the Benazadi. That is T-H-E-B-E-N-A-Z-A-D-I. And Dr. Pompa's is D-R Pompa. That is D-R-P-O-M-P-A. Take a screenshot, tag us, and I can't wait to see that. Dr. Pompa was the guest on our very first episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, episode one. And on that episode, he shares his story of pain to purpose to promise and how he got sick with mercury poisoning from his silver fillings and what he had to go through to reclaim his health. And now he's doing it for the world, including myself. So if you want to listen to that episode and hear more of his story, hear more about silver fillings and root canals and the four supplements that we recommend people stop taking, that's episode one of the Keto Camp Podcast because on this episode, we're not going to get too much into his story. We go right into fasting. So if you haven't listened to that first episode, go listen to it today. It's episode one. It's available on all podcast platforms worldwide. You could also watch it on the Keto Camp YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Keto Camp. We'll put a link for all of that in the show notes of this video. Dr. Daniel Pampa is a leading authority in true cellular detox. He coined the term, if you want to get well, you have to fix the cell. And I want to share a personal intro. I became a certified health coach a few years ago, and I didn't have a team. I didn't have mentors. I studied other people, YouTube, university, right? I read books, and I had a lot of information. But it wasn't until I saw Dr. Daniel Pompa speak in person in Boca Raton, Florida, almost three years ago, and I got to tell you, it pulled at my heartstrings like nothing else. I learned more in the first two hours of being at one of his seminars than I did in the previous nine years studying health. It struck a chord with me because they talk, he spoke, and all the other doctors he works with about root cause health, upstream health, and how if you don't fix that cell, you're not going to get well. And it made so much sense to me. And I seeked mentorship from Dr. Pompa and their HCF Platinum program. And I am so grateful to be able to learn from, I believe, the greatest person in the health space and implement this on myself, on my friends, on my clients, all over my YouTube videos, all over these podcasts. This information is the information that will get you your life back. I am so grateful to have him as my coach. I'm so grateful to have him as my mentor and to work with the group of practitioners that are going upstream. We are committed 
to growing this family to 300 strong practitioners to change the world. Look, if you're a health coach, if you're a doctor, if you are in the health space as a practitioner, and this information that Dr. Pompa and I share resonates with you, then I want you to send me an email, ben at ketocamp.com. We are looking to build our team. We're not taking everybody. We have to make sure we're aligned, but we're looking to build our team to 300 strong because when we do, we will change the world in a way it's never been changed before in the health space. So if this resonates with you, send me an email, ben at ketocamp.com, and we'll go from there. Let's talk with the man, Dr. Pampa. Dr. Pampa, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. I am excited to be here. Yeah, actually, it's welcome back because you are episode number one of the Keto Camp Podcast. And can, can you believe we're already 99 episodes in and you were the first one, man. And I love what you're doing. And I was grateful that you Dude, were- You do these things every day to be at 99 already? <laughs> I feel like it was just yesterday. I know. Yeah. Three to five a week. Consistent. Jeez, you're amazing. So on this call, on this podcast interview, we're going to talk all things fasting. We're going to look at fasting from different angles. We're going to talk all about your book, Beyond Fasting. So if you're interested in fasting, this is the podcast to watch or listen to. And if you want to learn more about Dr. Pompa's story, his pain to purpose story and all that, go listen to episode number one of the Keto Camp podcast where he talked all about that and about toxicity and the four supplements you got to take, uh, stop taking and, and so much more. So let's get into fasting. There is... Something you talk about a lot, which is the seven key benefits of fasting. And I'd love for you to just break down each one and give some benefits of each of those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's more than seven. I, you know, it's like I, I trap it at seven just because it gets boring otherwise, right? You know, but these seven, I think, are so exciting. You know, when we, when we look at the, the benefits, I, I think we can start with the big autophagy. I think your audience knows what autophagy is, but, you know, I have some new people. 2016 Nobel Prize was won by a Japanese gentleman who talked about this autophagy word where in a fasting state, the body will get energy and nutrients and amino acids to heal by getting rid of bad cells. It's so smart. It doesn't get rid of good, healthy cells. It goes after the bad cells with bad DNA and the immune cells that are causing mischief, driving inflammation, food allergies right? Autoimmune. I mean, the cells that are hyperactive and we call them senescent cells, cells that live too long, right? By the way, if we want to look at like somebody aging amazing, they have less senescent cells, cells living too long, causing bad stuff. Or someone who is not aging too gracefully has a lot of senescent cells, but someone who is has very little. So how do we deal with these cells? Autophagy. In a fasting state, the body gets rid of them. But then Benefit number two is it doesn't just get rid of the bad cells. It stimulates a stem cell and creates a new cell that's not overreactive. It's not senescent. It's doing all the right things, right? So if you look at an immune cell, it's not over attacking your body, right? You know, or reacting to all the different foods you eat. So, and it's, of course, younger, stronger, better. So your immune system is stronger. So that's the second benefit. Third benefit is... I think one of my favorites, I, I call it energy diversion. You know, when you're eating food, it takes so much energy to process the food, you know, and assimilate it, even at the cellular level. Well, when you're not eating or you're eating much less, what does it do? It takes the extra energy. It doesn't just sit on it. It takes it and diverts it. And it starts healing things that you really, you know, your innate intelligence and your body wanted to heal these things, but 
It's just trying to keep you surviving, right? So it doesn't have the energy. It's kind of like when you take work off, all of a sudden you're like, okay, after a few days you have extra energy and time. It's like, I'm going to start cleaning house, right? You know, you start improving things. So, uh, you know, it's day three, day four of a fast, a, a extended fast. We notice that, you know, that right knee is hurting. You know, wonder why that's hurting. You know, and you realize, wait a minute, I injured that, you know, 20 years ago. And now my body's diverting the energy to heal it. Oh, and by the way, it's using those new stem cells to heal it, right? It has this really upregulation of stem cells and energy going, what do I heal? Right? Huge benefits to fasting. And a fourth would be hormone optimization. When we look at healthy people who live long healthy, they don't have high hormone levels like everyone's trying to do today with bioidentical hormones, this hormone. Their cells hear their hormones. It, they pay attention. It doesn't take high levels. So when we look at these old, healthy people, they have very sensitive cells to the hormones. They don't have high hormone levels. So during a fasting state, we see this optimization of hormones by the cells becoming more sensitive. And of course, you get a growth hormone optimization too, which drives healing. So hormone optimization. A fifth benefit is you reset your genes that have been turned on for bad, right? So stressors of life, physical, chemical, or emotional, turn on genes. They trigger genes of susceptibility, diabetes, you know, weight loss resistance, whatever it is. Now, I believe genetically we are programmed to fast. And one of the reasons you know, when we look at ancient cultures, they were forced to fast. Today, we're not. But during fasting states, our body turns off these genes. So it's part of this natural process of turning on genes that get turned on. So we live longer healthy. So turning off genes. Now, we also, this is number, I think I'm at six. I don't know. Yeah, six. <laughs> we reset our microbiome. So, so many people have gut problems today. And again, something that happens in a fasted state is we reset that bacteria. And you've heard me say this all the time, right? You don't fix a bad gut by just taking bacteria, right? We need these times of fasting uh, to really reset that microbiome. And it creates this diversity in the microbiome. You can only you know, attribute that during a fast. So magic happens. And then lastly, when we look at the ketone, keto camp, right? You've, you know, your people know how incredible ketones are for the brain, for the gut, for, you know, for so many different things. I believe we need to go through times of keto, high ketones to heal. However, when we look at the studies on the therapeutic amounts, well, we get those in a fasted state more than just being in ketosis because we get really high levels of ketones. And that's really what has the effect or the strength or the number of ketones to fix the brain and some of these things. So high levels of ketones. Those are the seven big ones, man, that we know. At least we have a lot of science around. Yeah, my favorite is also the energy diversion. And energy di diversion and resetting the gut microbiome kind of go hand in hand because when you're not using all that energy to digest food, you're repairing the gut. Your gut's finally getting a, a rest for a long time. Dr. Zach Bush had a study that showed from the University of Virginia, you might have uh, read this, but it showed they took um, these college students and they gave them 800 calories of a standard American diet, so it was two slices of pizza, and they tracked how long it would take for that pizza to be digested out the colon, and it took 14 hours. So if somebody is eating pizza or a standard American diet, they're not at least fasting for 14 hours, it's creating that backlog and all that dysbiosis in the gut. So Yeah, but by the way, that's why, you know, I know some people say, oh, 12 hours, eat every 12 hours. 
Yeah, you know, I'm not, I didn't, I've never bought into that as if when we talk about intermittent fasting daily, I think it takes a little longer to get autophagy and to get some energy diversion where the food is finally through you, to his point, right? That study showing about 14 hours. So anyways, that's uh, my feeling on the 12-hour fast. A common question I get on intermittent fasting and autophagy is when does autophagy start during a fast? Yeah, I mean, you know, some, again, say some can start around 12, 13 hours, but more around 15 hours. And that's for really metabolically healthy people uh, that have the ability to shift over you know, and really make that change. But um, yeah, I would say safely, I, you know, around the 15 hour mark is for most people going to be that better number. If you are, like you said, metabolically flexible. So you've done, you've gone keto adapted and then you fast, you'll get into around 15, 16 hour. But if you're not, if you're a sugar burner, it'll take you much longer or it'll take you longer. Yeah, we, we know this and I don't know, I don't want to throw off your questions here, but you know, we can look at when someone's getting max autophagy or getting autophagy by looking at blood ketones and glucose. And I'm sure we'll talk more about yeah. that. But, you know, we know this, that people that struggle to get fat adapted or aren't fat adapted, they never really hit those numbers showing that they're not really getting into the autophagy. So to your point, we want to be fat adapted and then we start really noticing autophagy much better. Yeah, we'll talk about what to look for when it comes to the blood ketones and glucose. Well, how, how do you know if you should continue the fast or shorten the fasting window? So yeah, we'll get to that. When it comes, what is your favorite intermittent fasting schedule for most people? Yeah, you know, look, I, I first of all, I always say this. When we talk about intermittent fasting, sometimes it's easier to talk about an eating window. When do you want to eat, right? So pick a window. If it's an eight-hour window, when do you want to eat that eight-hour window? There's argument. Should eat breakfast, not eat breakfast. Eat, uh, look, pick your window that works for your schedule. It's not like you can just change your job or change your schedule when your kids come home and eat. So first of all, pick a window that works for you, right? Because that means you're going to be successful, right? So don't get into like, you know, whether it should be this window, that window, this time, that time. Find one that works for you. So Pick an eating window, and therefore it's, you know, obviously you're driving a fasting window on the other side of that, right? <laughs> and then look at, you know, how metabolically flexible you are. So I always say this, if you measure your glucose and ketones first thing in the morning, you know, then we can look at and write those numbers down. We should see as you fast, the glucose drop and the ketones rise. You know, and really that should happen as you fast. If that's not happening, then maybe you want to eat, a, you know, broaden your window a little bit. So maybe you do start with a 12-hour eating window, you know, and then you go to a 10-hour window. And if you start to, you know, see that glucose dropping and the ketones rising, that means your body's doing the right thing and you're probably getting autophagy. So you can use that little technique to see how long uh, you can fast for, you know, because again, some people are just not going to be able to go. 20 hours on a fast. And if your body's not doing the right thing with glucose and ketones, it's an indicator that maybe you need to broaden your eating window or shorten your fasting window. So using that little strategy, you can kind of pick a window that works for you. But as you become more metabolically flexible and start fasting more and all the strategies that we're going to talk about today, then you can start broadening that window. I typically eat you know, in a three, four hour window. I start you know, maybe three in the afternoon. I have a little bit of food. And then I eat a bigger dinner. Dinner works for me because that's when the kids are here, right? I don't eat before four hours before bed. So if I um, eat at six or seven, you know, I make sure I get at least four hours before I go to bed. So that's my eating window. But again, yours may be different depending on your schedule. 
Out of the three methods to test ketones, blood, urine, and breath, which is the most accurate? Well, I mean, blood. Uh, you know, urine, you will see ketones go up. And it, it's irritating to me because people go, well, I can get into ketosis in two days. Well, they're looking at urine, right, where you see ketones coming out, right, and then just from eating more fats in the diet oftentimes, right? But uh, once we get into actually fat adapting, your body's using ketones, you, they, they disappear from your urine. So it's really not an accurate assessment. So, you know, blood is really, and breath, breath is accurate, but the problem is you're measuring uh, acetone and it, there's a delay. So it, it's, it's just a little less useful, you know, because it's so delayed, it seems, right? So, you know, but it is still an indicator. My son, Daniel, who is younger and um, his uh, breath ketones will always be higher, meaning he's burning up ketones like crazy. And then that raises the acetone in the breath. So his was always higher. Uh, I'm not as active as him sitting here at the desk doing interviews half the time, right? <laughs> so my breath would always be lower. However, my blood ketones would be higher. He was burning up his blood ketones and his breath was higher. So just kind of giving you understand that this is delayed. As you burn ketones, this rises, but there's a delay. So you just, Did you just smell? understand, yeah. So. Were you able to smell the acetone from his breath? No, no, because it really only happens oddly. They say it's that sweet smell, right? But it has to go super high, like in a diabetic uh, ketotic state, you know, that you really would notice that smell. So when it comes to the glucose, is it safe to say that if glucose is being spiked, autophagy is going down? They have an inverted relationship, correct? That's correct. And, and I think, you know, I get emails you probably have too, right? Oh my gosh, I'm in my, you know, third day of my fast and my glucose is 40. Am I going to be okay? How do you feel? I feel fine. Well, what are your ketones? Uh, 7.2. Well, that's why your glucose is dropping. Yeah, they have an inverse relationship. As glucose drops, ketones rise making up that energy difference. And that's what we want to see, right? We don't typically see high glucose and high ketones. You know, that's a, that would be an odd situation for the body. You know, as we, we, this one goes down, this one goes up. And that's why that's an indicator that your body's using fat, making more ketones because ketones are, you know, a byproduct of fat metabolism, burning fat. And then as the glucose drops, right, the ketones go up, right? So as we restrict carbohydrates, Glucose goes lower and lower and lower and lower, and then it has to burn more fat. So that's why we see this inverse relationship. What about in type 2 diabetic uh, patients it, when they have high glucose and high ketones? If that's the case, let's say somebody does their blood glucose and ketones, they're type 2 diabetic, and they have 120 uh, blood sugar and 1.1 ketones. Is their body even using the ketones, or is it using the glucose instead? The body will use glucose because it prioritizes glucose for several reasons. It's, you know, it's damaging as we know, right? You know, high glucose can damage nerves. It can damage tissue, create oxidation. The body's smart enough to burn the glucose down. So it will prioritize the, the glucose and not utilize the ketones. So that, that's the other thing, right? When we see a non-diabetic with elevated glucose and they're not able to get the glucose to start coming down and the ketones um, typically won't rise that high, but they're not getting the full benefit of ketones. And that's where fasting comes in because it can force down the glucose because you're not eating, right? And then it will eventually raise the ketones. Great. What about hy hypothyroid people? Should they fast at all? Uh, they can. Uh, you know, um, they sure can. If they're on medication, they will need less. So just 
you work with your doctor on that, uh, be cautious of that. Uh, diabetics, same thing. I'm always asking diabetics fast. Yes, they can, but yeah, you have to just be really careful with your insulin. So caution, work with a doctor. But the fact is, though, is that yes, thyroid cases can. But now, again, I, you know, this takes the conversation in a little different direction because if you're doing fasting, which is magic for the autophagy and what it does for thyroid, it's important to put in, I believe, five days a month of a feast where you could do high protein, for example, or high healthy carbs because there's two pathways. There's the autophagy, which is happening during the fast. The body's getting rid of the bad cells. But we want to put it in an anabolic pathway where the body's creating new, right? And that's called mTOR. And that's what you get with high protein, high calories, high carbs. Any one of those three things will stimulate this mTOR pathway. That Again, you don't want to do too much of that. We know that stimulating mTOR too long ages you prematurely. But we don't want to do too much fasting. That's a catabolic state. And if you keep breaking down, breaking down, that's not good either. So I love the balance, especially for your hormone-challenged people, thyroid people, adrenal people, five days a month of fasting, even partial or water, and then five days of feasting, high protein, high carbs. That feast famine works amazing you know, for your, your hormone-challenged folks. Yeah, it does. And I learned that from you. You call it diet variation, feast famine cycles. It's what I teach and I just name it keto flexing. So if you're familiar with that keto canvas, it's what I learned from Dr. Pompa. It's varying your diet because there is an art to that mTOR and autophagy and we don't want too much in either either direction. So that's such a great breakdown. What about, this is a common question that I get asked all the time and I know you do as well. Can I drink coffee and tea during my fast? (laughs) Okay. So this is great because we just we already talked about glucose and ketones because we, we kind of set you up here to understand the answer. The answer is, I don't know, test. <laughs> so I know people are like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> um, but let me tell you how to test, you know, because it is different for everybody. So if you just measure your glucose right before your coffee or tea, and then 30 minutes after, if glucose consistently rises above five, you know, meaning if you took an average of three or four days, right, then it's not good for you. Because as we raise glucose, what happens is it shuts down autophagy. <laughs> so we don't want to do that. Uh, Thomas Seyfried noticed this when they were basically watching tumors shrink in fasted states, in autophagy states, and then all of a sudden they would stop. He found that some people were drinking coffee, but it would happen to them and not others. You know, so what was happening, they realized it was because the coffee was stimulating their glucose. And when glucose went up, tumor shrinkage stopped, meaning autophagy stopped. So uh, we can learn from that. And I did. I was in a mastermind with uh, Thomas. So I always give him credit there. I'm like you. I love getting credit where credit's due, right? It's like I wasn't the brains to figure that out. I mean, he figured that out looking at tumors, right? But I was the one that said, well, let's apply this to the average person, right? So test your coffee or your tea. Now, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to give up your coffee or tea. Maybe you have to change the way you're doing it. So for example, if you're doing coffee with fats, maybe you do better with black. Or if you do black, maybe you do better with some fats in your coffee. Or if you're doing coffee and nothing's working, maybe you go to tea. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Or maybe it's the caffeine and you need decaf, right? So you have to kind of try different things. Don't just abandon it. But, you know, see, because we like something warm, you know, in our fasting state that doesn't disrupt the autophagy. So you don't want to shut down autophagy. So test. I also think if you change up your coffee brand, if you're drinking a toxic coffee brand and you use a better one, it could, you could get better results with that as well. Absolutely. So try different things. 
So we talked about intermittent fasting. We talked about the seven key benefits of fasting. There's so much more, like you mentioned, and none of them was even weight loss or fat loss. That's, that's a side effect of getting healthy. Let's talk more about block fasting. What is block fasting? Who should do it? And uh, then I have some more questions for you. Yeah, I mean, um, block fasting was something that, you know, really is AKA for extended fast, right? But I say block because we take blocks of time throughout the year and we put ourselves in these fasted states. I fast four times a year. I do two partial fasts, which we can talk about, and I do two pure water fasts. You definitely, you know, get the most autophagy in the water fasting. You do. We can look at the numbers and just realize that. The body, first of all, what creates the autophagy, right? The body's need for nutrition and survival, right? And it will knock down these bad cells to get that. So obviously, when you're doing just pure water, there's greater need, right? So it, it just creates more autophagy. But, you know, so block fasting is, we're also benefiting, as you go through the fast, you're getting more autophagy. Now, so if we go into a fast, and my book talks about this, you don't want to just run a marathon, right? If you train for a marathon, your results are going to be better. I think all of you would agree with that, right? It'll be a lot easier too, right? Instead of struggling through the marathon. I did that once. I actually ran a marathon without training, and it was very difficult. Uh, won't do that again. Blisters all in my feet. Not good. But anyways, the bottom line is my book takes people through a seven-week program of how to train, maximize your results in a fast. So if you're trained, you can start getting major autophagy one day one, you know, which we call max autophagy, and we can talk about that. But you can enter max autophagy day one. Typically, a person will not get max autophagy until day four, and then they get max stem cell production day five. So years ago, before I even knew the science, there was none around the length of a fast when we see autophagy and stem cells. I just noticed that people would benefit from about five days. Over five days, you'd see people start to fall apart, but it seemed like we hit this max around five days. So I always did five-day fast. I always said the shortest fast you do is four days because most people take three days to hit most of those seven benefits. So carry it one more day. But even one more day is the, the goal. So five days. And then science started coming out going, well, there is magic around five days. You have max autophagy typically day four and max stem cell day five. That's, you know, that's a block fast. I believe that we are programmed to fast. All of us are programmed genetically to fast. Today, we are not forced to fast like ancient cultures, right? They ran out of food supply. Food supply change, you know, droughts, famine, I mean, you know, environmental changes, all these things would put them into fasting states or famine states. They were forced. Today we're not. But we are designed, programmed to fast, resetting our deep bad genes, our DNA, our microbiome. When we're not fasting, we're missing out on all of that. So block fasting a few times a year, even once for beginners, will transform your health, you know, but to maximize those results, those seven things that I talked about, that's why we prepare and train. And that's that seven-week program in my book. And how do you calculate uh, maximum autophagy? So let's talk. It's great. So we're kind of building on this concept of glucose. Do most of your people, they get a keto mojo, right? Yeah. This is a meter yeah. that measures glucose and ketones. If you don't have one, get one. Okay. So then you can provide a link for new people, right? Mm -hmm. To get one of these things that with one blood prick, 
We can test glucose, beep, write it down. We can test ketones, beep, write it down. First thing in the morning, best time to check because things like exercise and eating throws off those numbers, right? So we wanna see where you are. How do you know if you're in ketosis? Beep, above 0.5 on ketones in the morning. Okay, everyone's on the same playing field. So how do we know in max autophagy? So let's say you're fasting and day one, let's just play it out. So day one, boop, we take our morning glucose, morning ketones. So, hey, I'm, I'm doing better. I'm, I'm 85 on my glucose, and I went in fat adapted, so already I'm at 1.1 on ketones. Okay, so if you're listening, write those numbers down. So let's just write them down. What did I say it was? I said, oh, 85. You're yeah. going to do the math. You have a calculator? Yeah, I'm doing it here for you. So you take your glucose, 85, divided by 18. Okay, so we have... 85 divided by 18. What does that equal? 4.7. 4.7. Okay. Now, I said our ketones were 1.2. All right. So ketones were 1.2. My pen's going to run out. Okay. So now 4.7 to 1.2. Okay. That's um, obviously a ratio where your glucose is much higher than your ketones. The goal when we know we're hitting max autophagy is a one-to-one -one ratio, okay? So now let's run it again. So now we're day three in the fast, right? Now you, you went in, you did the seven-week program, so you're, you're doing the right thing. Okay, so now your glucose is down to 60, okay? So divided by 18, let's get the European number. Go ahead and do it. 3.3. 3.3. Now your ketones, day three, because you did everything right, are going to be 3.8, okay? Now, you're actually a little more than the one-to-one -one ratio. So hypothetically, if my ketones were exactly 3.3, we'd be at one-to-one, -one. but they were better. They were 3.8. So we're beyond max autophagy, and that was day three, okay? By day five, Let's play it out. Let's say now your glucose is 47, divide 47 by 18. 2.6. Okay, 2.6. And your ketones now are 7.2. So you can see, now you're beyond max autophagy. You're crushing bad cells. So it's kind of fun when you can actually watch that evolve. Now, those of you who are going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I've heard Papa, I've heard you, you know, your, your followers, I don't hit those numbers. You shouldn't expect to necessarily hit those numbers your first fast. That's why multiple fasts is how we get continued autophagy. Bad cells don't adapt. Fasting is a stress that creates forces cells to adapt. So the good cells get stronger and your bad cells die off and get weaker. So with each fast, you're getting stronger cells. With each fast, you're getting rid of the bad cells. With each fast, you're basically creating a body that's more and more metabolically flexible. You know, so you get younger with each fast. It could be one a year, it could be four a year, three a year, but each fast you get stronger and stronger. And I'm gonna say this, each fast is a little different. You might have gotten this symptom on that fast, this symptom on that fast, your numbers change. But each fast, you're relying on that innate intelligence to drive and heal your body. And there's no older therapy known to man than fasting. Every religion disagrees on everything, even prayer, except fasting. You know, so it's remarkable what happens in a fasted state.
but this has to be part, just like ancient cultures. This has to become part of who you are. It has to become part of what you do. And it's transformed my cellular health, meaning because when I was sick in 1999, 2000, 2001, I was very sick. My cellular age was much older than my actual age. Now, we have ways of measuring this, telomere testing, DNA methylation. All I can tell you now is my cellular age is far younger than my actual age at 54. So that wasn't accident. It would have gotten worse if I continued, right? But it's getting better through autophagy. Now, I've done some stem cells as well. I, I'll be completely honest. But the bottom line, and, and I've you know, done a lot of different things, but fasting is the, the free way of getting there. It's my favorite tool in the shed. And it, it like it's a tool, just the same way a chainsaw is a tool and a chainsaw could hurt you if you don't know what you're doing. You got to know what you're doing. That's why you said it's a marathon you train for. It's a, it's a muscle you develop. So maximum autophagy, that one-to-one ratio, that's where Dr. Thomas Seafried saw the tumor shrink, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he calls it the target ratio. And that's exactly right. Is when he would hit that one to one ratio, they would see tumor shrinking, meaning there's a max apophagy. For you to shrink a tumor, your body's going after the bad cells and it's going right there. Right. So we know that that happens. You get above that, glucose starts rising or not coming out, you're going to stop that autophagy. And what does that do for somebody who has uh, autoimmune, like um, Raynaud's, like myself? What would that do during a block fast if you get maximum autophagy? Yeah, so again, when you have autoimmune, you have too many immune cells overreacting, attacking your good tissue, right? So what happens is when you're hitting this max autophagy, your body is crushing those senescent, again, immune cells that live too long, that attack your body eventually, they cause mischief. So you're just getting rid of those bad cells at a very rapid rate and thereby getting rid of the hyperimmunity, replacing it with young, new immune cells that are young, not overactive. So eventually, through multiple fasts, the body ends up with a new immune system. Now, if you have an upstream stressor, and we're not, this is not about toxicity today, but if you have an upstream stressor, then you could be creating bad cells too fast, right? you know, that are disrupting DNA, et cetera, et cetera. So fasting with cellular detox, mm, that's the magic that I've been teaching for 20 years, right? Yeah, you have. So there are four different variations of, of, a, of a block fast that you have taught me to teach my community. And that is actually break down all four uh, real quick. What are variations of a block fast that the audience can do? Yeah, so you can do a partial fast, which I talked about, right? So, you know, what is a partial fast? You know, I learned this from a, uh, a French guy, Albert Mazier. I, I probably mispronounced it. I'm not great with uh, anything, but I'm not great with English, let alone French. Anyway, I was dyslexic as a, well, I, I said as a child, but you're always dyslexic. So it's part of my uh, brilliance, the way my weird brain works, but uh, forget about pronouncing things or spelling things. Um, anyways, Albert um, was doing very long fasts uh, for people with all types of different conditions. And one thing he noticed is that, you know, people only had an ability to fast so long before it would turn bad on them. And then he'd put them into a, um, a very partial fast. And, and I'll define that in a minute. But then he noticed that not only did they start to feel better, but all of a sudden they would start getting all of the signs of healing again. So people that had certain challenges, he just went and did a partial fast with them and he would notice, wow, they actually did better sometimes than the water fast. Now, not everybody, 
but he, it became a tool that he developed. And then I started using some years ago. And all it means is we get, instead of just going with no food, we bring the calories under a thousand, depending on body size. So if you're smaller, maybe 500 calories. If you're bigger, maybe 800 to a thousand. We restrict your calories, but you also have to restrict your protein because if you eat too much protein, then it will shut down autophagy. And as you, we, you know now, that's part of the magic of fasting. So, but you have to get, again, if you're a bigger person, 20 grams of protein is, is okay. But if you're smaller, maybe under 15 grams of protein, but you have to get under that 20 gram of protein mark. So not to shut down autophagy. So carbohydrates, you know, just like ketosis, keep them under 50. So if we follow those rules, that is defined as a partial fast. Now, here's the cool thing. You could do that with foods that you already know work for you. Many people watching this are like, well, I can't do this food, I can't do that food. Well, as long as you follow those rules, you can pick the foods that work for you in partial fast. We have other ways of doing it, right? You know, at Walter Longo, Prolone, they developed the boxes of food, day one, day two, day three, day 45. I think it's brilliant. However, some people may react to some of the things in there and you know, in the boxes of food. So maybe that's not good for everybody, but for a starter that doesn't have food intolerances, you know, no problem. But you can also build your own. And then we use Catabo Shake, right? It's, just a, it's a meal mix. Uh, you know, I don't, the thing I don't like about partial fasting is when I'm not eating, I just stay away from the, I don't eat, I'm fine. Eventually my hunger goes away, my desire for food goes away. If you get me started with a little bit of food, I'm a train. I, I don't want to stop. I want more. I want more. I'm like you. So, me too. Yeah. Yeah. So partial fasting for me has always been very difficult. Now, I, I think the nice thing about having a box of food that I have for the day, at least it limits you, right? But I still want to eat more, I have to admit. You know, so, you know, having something that, you know, gives me that restriction is a little bit better. But I do believe water fasting for me is easier for that reason. And then uh, what about bone broth fasting? Is that an option as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I put that in the category as a partial fast, you know, right. bone broth with some fats, you know, you're getting some calories, right? And I, I think it's a great fast to do, you know, for some people, because as we know, when you're fasting, um, electrolyte depletion for people who aren't used to fasting, um, you know, one of the things you can do even during a water fast is take sea salt to maintain electrolytes because you lose electrolytes. You know, I don't need to do that now, but it's okay to do that. But bone broth kind of gives you some of those electrolytes, you know, put some sea salt in it. it it's a nice fast. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to interrupt this episode real quick and let you know about a product I've been using to reduce inflammation and to get better sleep. When it comes to the CBD space, it is like the wild, wild west. And the company I've discovered is Dr. Phillips Formulations. It is pure, safe, potent, and yes, it's formulated by a doctor. They bring over 20 years of medical experience to their CBD oil. They have a proprietary formulation which combines pure, high-quality ingredients with the knowledge of a board-certified physician. They have tinctures that are internationally certified for non-GMO. And here's what they also have, keto CBD fruit chews. Yes, they are keto-friendly, they taste delicious, and they're a great way to reduce inflammation in the body. The third thing that I use from them is the topical cream. There's very few, if any, CBD products on the market that can compare to this. I use the topical cream when I have some soreness, maybe in my lower back. I put this cream and the next morning the pain is gone. We have worked out a deal for Keto Campers to get 15% off your order 
by heading over to drphillipscbd.com slash ketocamp. Dr. Phillips CBD is spelled D-R-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-C-B-D.com slash ketocamp. Remember, that's camp with a K. Let's get back to this episode. So I've seen people who do fasting, a block fast, sometimes struggle because they have so many toxins in their body. And we know that the body is so smart that when toxins enter our body from breathing, eating, or touching our skin, uh, the body will not let those toxins enter our vital organs. So it actually creates, activates that PPARY pathway and puts it into our fat cells, enlarges our fat cells. And then when we fast, we start burning fat and those toxins are now dumped into the bloodstream and you're not getting all these benefits that we're talking about. At least you don't feel like you're getting it. You feel like crap. So what are some ways to deal with that toxic load uh, that's happening during a fast? I mean, there's two reasons for why people don't feel well during a fast. Number one, they, can't, they don't transition to fat, right, as energy. So they're just like left depleted. But the, the second reason is toxin release, to your point. Uh, but toxins also are the reason, typically the reason why you can't use your fats. <laughs> so right. Toxins, toxins, really. You know, what we had uh, learned over the years is if we give you something to just absorb some of these toxins that are being released, you know, we can have a much more successful fast and a uh, much more comfortable fast and, you know, have more autophagy. I call it the fasting trio. And it's bind. It's a binder that sits in your gut that stops this you know, auto-intoxication of uh, toxins. Because when you're fasting, the toxins get released. They go to your liver. Many of them bind up with bile. And then the bile is dumped in the gut and unfortunately brought right back to the liver because your liver reabsorbs the bile to, so it doesn't have to recreate it. But you auto-intoxicate. So bind sits there as a catcher's mitt, grabs the toxins, pulls it out. So that helps you. However, many of the uh, toxins are systemic. Cytodetox, taking some cytodetox uh, helps systemically lower that toxin uh, redistribution. And then the other one, something that rises up in toxic people is hydroxy-free radicals. And fast tonic is molecular hydrogen that actually helps you stimulate autophagy, by the way. It actually studies show that helps autophagy. And it knocks down these hydroxy-free radicals and just makes you feel better. Put those three together. We've learned uh, that we can make an unpleasant fast more pleasant and more successful. Yeah, it's a game changer. So all these supplements that Dr. Pomp is talking about, you could find them over at ketocampsupplements.com. And we'll also put an individual link for each one in the notes. So we talked about intermittent fasting. We talked about block fasting, aka extended fasting, different ways to do it. Now there is the most probably extreme version of fasting, and you do this often, or you've done it in the past, which is dry fasting. What are the two types of dry fasting, and how would that benefit somebody? Okay, so I have to give my son credit. He, he is much more efficient at dry fasting. Well, I shouldn't say efficient. He's pushed the envelope. He's done Daniel? two dry fasts of four days. Yeah, to Daniel. He's done two four-day dry fasts. Okay, wow. so just to put this in context, folks, we're talking about not eating food or water or drinking water. Why would we do such a thing? And I know you, but wait a minute, you can't go th over three days without water. Well, that's not true. <laughs> because of autophagy, it's not true. So meaning that your body needs water, right? So what it does is it just starts crushing cells because cells hold water, particularly fat cells. So very toxic people don't do well with dry fasting. Let's just say that because you do crush fat cells, which hold toxins. 
But so your body wants to get water. So by upregulating autophagy, it gets water to survive. There's about a three to one autophagy versus regular fasting and a dry fast, meaning you have three times more autophagy during a dry fast than you do even a regular water fast, right? So maybe six, seven, eight, ten times of that of a partial fast. So, and again, the reason is because your body needs the water. So it's just crushing bad cells to get more water. Of course, it's getting nutrients as well. But look, even throwing in one day of a dry fast, many religions do that. You know, they do a day or two of just dry fast. It's remarkable. So let's say, all right, look, you know, I don't really have the ability time-wise to do a five-day fast. Well, what if you do a two-day dry fast? Well, that would be equivalent to six, you know? So, you know, there's purpose. I always do one or two days of dry fasting within my five-day water fast. Just in, in watch what happens. I mean, my, my ketones fly off the chart, right? Uh, you know, glucose plummets. I mean, so yeah, you, you have to be a little careful with it. You know, don't jump out and do that right away. You know, obviously we always recommend supervision for fasting, but it is a way to biohack, you know, the, the autophagy process in the body. It's fun. And there's two versions of that, right? The soft and the dry, uh, the soft and the hard, excuse me. So what are those two types of, of dry yeah, fasting? So my son did a hard uh, dry fast, the first one he did. And that means no shower, no toothbrush. Well, why no shower? Because the body's so smart. It will take the water that you're showering and absorb it through the skin. And then it slows down autophagy, right? So no going out in the rain or anything like that. Yeah, right. So, you know, I mean, some people in the old days, they, they talked about dry fasting near a stream where you're just pulling in those negative ions. So there's a benefit, you know, just doing it in a humid environment. Daniel did it in Utah, in Park City. Even more impressive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't remember how many days he was going to do, but I, I was like, you need to stop. You're getting too much autophagy. But so dry fast, hard dry fast is like you're not showering to absorb that water. I have to tell the story though, because Cameron, who you know, Kava Cam. Yep, he, of course, yeah. I, you know, he was one of my clients years and years ago, and he was literally at death's door. They sent Cam home to die uh, because they couldn't get an IV in him. He was, it started off where he could eat just a few foods, and then it went to where he couldn't eat food. And then went to where he was drinking, able to drink one water. He was having anaphylactic shock over water. So he couldn't drink water anymore. And they were, of course, well, we better hydrate him. Let's get IV. I mean, anaphylactic shock. I mean, so he literally was on death's door. They finally just sent him home. Like, we can't do anything. Like, you know, we, you know we, we just have no answer. And I said, Cam, I told his family, listen to the innate intelligence. Your body doesn't want to eat or drink. Ride it out. The body will tell you when to drink, you know, just, and it'll open up that door. Right now, it knows what it has to do. Let's trust it. That's what he did. He went 12 days without food or water. It saved his life. And he tells the story that, you know, he kind of knew, and he just started, you know, he started just getting a little thirstier, and he started to uh, be able to drink water. And then it led to water, led to food. Then it led to us being able to detox him. So that was a tipping point for me being able to detox him to, to save his life. So interesting story. That's amazing. The human body is incredible. I have a couple of questions from the Keto Camp Academy members. Before I do on this topic of block fasting, before we get away from it, what are some signs that you know you should probably break the, the block fast if you're going more than five days? 
Yeah, because I mean, there's a strategy for going more than five days, right? I mean, people that are very heavy set, right? They have a lot of fuel to burn. They can benefit from longer fast. Um, and I discussed that in my book, but you're right. There's a point where the body will start not benefiting. But here's the cool thing is the intelligence lets you know. Number one, you'll go through like the white tongue, all right? Then you go through, it might turn yellow, it might turn fuzzy black. I've seen them all green, you name it. And then all of a sudden, your tongue turns pink again. That's a sign, stop the fast. And sure enough, lo and behold, if you keep going, you'll start to feel very crappy. Another sign is weight loss. You should lose a half a pound to a pound a day. And if it goes like two days where you're not losing weight anymore, that's a sign to stop the fast. Okay. So, you know, here's a, a really easy one. If hunger comes back, because after so many days, your body just loses hunger. Now all of a sudden you're hungry, you know, and hunger is a different feeling than just like, you know, looking at something on craving, walking away and being okay. No, this doesn't go away. It's a gnarl in the stomach. And all of a sudden you're hungry. It's a time to break the fast. So little tips. Those are solid tips. Really good. Okay. Let's get to a couple questions I got from some members, some of the members, amazing members of the Keto Camp Academy. The first one is from Tara. She says, what is the best indicator that your fasting window is too long? Well, actually, we answered that. So check your glucose and ketones, make sure it's going in the right direction. So Tara, great question. So Tara, let me just add to that. So glucose starts to rise up after 18 hours. Your body might be tapping into muscle or dumping glucose from your liver. We call that gluconeogenesis. It's a sign that it's just not able to continue fat burning, so just back up. And Alta, Alta says, weight is no longer an issue, but I am sticking with the 16-8 or an 18-6 schedule for my fast. My concern is insulin resistance. What is the best fasting suggestion to beat insulin resistance? Well, look, I mean, multiple fasts is the key, right? Insulin resistance is where your cells aren't hearing not just insulin very well, but other hormones. Uh, you know, again, look at the number one reason of why we're learning that toxins play a bigger effect even than the diet with insulin resistance. So my advice to you would be to add cellular detox to whatever you're doing to increase insulin sensitivity at the cell, decrease inflammation driven by toxins. So that would be my strategy. But again, multiple fasts, the body gets more and more healthy at the cellular level. Yeah. And I, I just taught this in low carb USA. I've learned it from you. When the body has cellular inflammation from toxins, all of a sudden insulin can't push glucose into the cells. So the toxins are the issue there. So there you go, Alta, cellular detox and multiple fast. I have one more here and we'll move on. Lisa Harris says, sometimes I get a little panicky about fasting because I've had so much weight loss. I've done 18-6 most days with additional meals periodically to change it up. I've had great success, but I've only done one 48-hour fast in two years. I know the benefits. Can you advise me on mental states during the day so I don't get nervous about it? Hmm. Mental states. So, so you know, well, put it this way. You fix mental states with knowledge. A little bit more knowledge may help. You know, first of all, if you're doing 18-6, I always say the feast days are as, as important as the fasting days. So you shouldn't worry about too much weight loss unless you're doing too much autophagy. So adding one or two days a week of feasting is the magic for you. So the knowledge will fix that. Now, what does a feast mean? You could increase carbs, 
healthy carbs in a day, eat just more carbs than you typically eat, or protein. Try to get one gram of protein per lean body weight, or even 0.75. You're gonna increase protein, which will increase that mTOR, which is an anabolic state, which is very healthy. Remember, autophagy, fasting, you know, and again, you're, you know, you're doing 18 hours or whatever it is in your fast, that's great, but you need some of these feast days where you're either doing high protein, high carbs, or high calorie. One day a week, two days a week, whatever it is. Sometimes people do better with three days. That'll keep you from losing muscle. That's what you're really concerned about or should be. Awesome. Okay, let's take a sidetrack here and get away from fasting for a couple of things. What is the issue with these two popular items in our society, kombucha and Apple AirPod headsets? <laughs> All right, kombucha. Yeah, I did a, I, I think it was a Facebook Live on it, you know, and I got, oh my gosh, the response because... Well, first off, people get addicted to kombucha, right? They get addicted to iPods too, or uh, the earphones, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a few reasons for that because, you know, when people come to us, uh, they're always taking a probiotic, right? And most people, the first thing we do is get rid of it because they've been taking it forever and we monoculture. So meaning that let's say the probiotic has seven bacteria. You keep taking those seven, you're going to create a dysbiosis. Right, you're going to end up with too much of these seven and you know, not enough of that. There's a balance. So you have to rotate the bacteria. Well, when you're drinking this kombucha, you're getting the same bacteria, same bacteria. So you have to do the same strategy we do with probiotic. Change the types that you're drinking. Change companies. They start with different starters. They, get, they have different bacteria. They lean heavier on some than the others. So just change it up. Don't drink the same one, which creates an addiction. For it. Oddly enough, it's like you're addicted to the food you become intolerant to. I believe the same thing happens with the kombucha. So break the addiction, change the bacteria, don't monoculture. Great advice. Uh, what about Air Apple AirPods? What's the issue with that? Yeah, so I, I did a, a Facebook Live on it. And then we had, I don't know, we had like almost a half a million hits on it because the advice was show your kids this. So we tested just the old wired in ones, right? And it was really, you know, minuscule, you know, nothing to worry about, right? The, the radiation, the electromagnetic frequency going into the brain. And then we put the iPods in, the um, iPods. Is that what they're called? iPods? AirPods. 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 I knew I was saying it wrong. You can tell my age, right? I don't put these things in my head, so I don't even know what they're called. But then we tested the EMF. I mean, at 0.5, the way we measure it with the device, we see cellular damage and DNA disruption. It was a thousand times that, and it's going right into your brain. So when I see these people walking around with these, it's everything for me not to go up to them and be like, stop putting that radiation right in. Distance is everything. If your cell phone is here, this is, we know this causes problems, right? Tumors, every cell disruption, but here gives you a level of protection. So you don't put these things right in your ear. It's going right into your brain. Not good. When I first saw that, so I have a pair of AirPods and I used to wear them to work out. And then I saw your video and I haven't worn it since. And I also see people all the time, kids all the time, UPS drivers all day long with these AirPods, pregnant women with these AirPods. And I want to do the same thing. Just kind of rattle them like, wake up. Don't put these in your ears. It's not this like overprotective paranoia. I mean, we can measure this. Right. Scientists know at what level EMF affects the cells. Right. So, I mean, it's not smart. It really isn't. Okay. So I have my rapid fire questions for you, and then we are going to wrap up this interview. Are you ready to do the rapid fire questions? I, I hope. 
Yeah, you didn't do it last time. It's new to the show. All right, let, let's do it. What is your favorite keto food? Avocado. What is your favorite non-keto food? I guess my food? brain went. I'm like, yeah, but I like, <laughs> I like ghee. I like, well, yeah, I like Whatever first came to mind. I know. Uh, what is your favorite non-keto food? Oh, my gosh. I, squash. I don't know. Like, um, like you know, I love those types of things. Acorn squashes. And- that could be keto as well. What's the first thing? That's true. I, I, hold on. Maybe a sweet potato. Is that there more non-keto? I love sweet potato. Yeah. Okay, that's, <laughs> is that better? Yeah. That's better. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I could jump out and say pasta. I mean, you know. Yeah, any, anything goes. I'll, I'll I'm goes. Italian. I mean, yeah. every once in a while, I have a really good you know, artesian uh, grain pasta. Okay, let's go with that. I mean, I, I'm thinking, what would I rather have? I love sweet potato, but that's what we're going to go with. What is the first thing you think of in the morning? First thing I think of in the morning, uh, like pleasure-wise, I would say that that warm cup of coffee that thank God I test good for, right? And that's the only one I have through the day. I just have my one cup of coffee in the morning. That's what I look forward to. Black? No, I do a little grass-fed cream. I don't put all the fats in it. I just get less glucose rise if I don't put all the fats. What's the best piece of advice you've ever heard? Mm, here it is. You know, you want to function with your true identity. And you know I train on that because when you're not functioning with your true identity, you're not going to be productive. You're not authentic. You're not going to change lives, make a difference. You know, and why do we not function in our true identity? It's because of wounds in our life. We all we all do this to some degree. And you know, once we're functioning outside that true identity the way God created us. And we lose our, really, our, our greatest leverage in life, our greatest gift, our greatest, you know, of who we are. And that's so important. So we develop patterns to compensate for wounds in our life. And then we find ourselves outside of our true identity. And I think all of us, including myself, we always have to look at those areas of our life. And the closer, and I hope the older we get, the more closer we get to that true identity and the more effective we get in every aspect of our life. That was the best advice I ever read in a book, you know, one time. Yeah. And you, you spoke on that, uh, during the, our mastermind in Park City, Utah last year. Uh, when I am not operating in my true identity, I'm complaining and I'm procrastinating. So those are two signs to know if you're not operating in your. Exactly. You start complaining, right? It's like, you know, you know, and, and it might be an area in your job where you're just not functioning in that, you know, it's not who you really are. You know, if you start complaining about it, you know, yeah, check yourself. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever heard? <laughs> that one takes a little bit of thought. Here we go. This is a fun one. You ready? Yeah. Eat five to six meals a day. Um, because you know what? I bought into that at one point. And then I went to Africa and I saw the exact opposite and I questioned it in my mind. But if you want to die sooner, eat five, six meals a day. (laughs) What was your favorite TV show growing up? Oh, let's see. I love the honeymooners. Your people probably don't know who that is, but it was hilarious. You know, as a little kid, I loved the Flintstones. I'd come home from school and like watch an episode of the Flintstones when I had my snack trying to eat five meals a day. (laughs) Right. Uh, If you had one superpower, which you talk about, I I think I know your answer, but if you had one superpower, what would it be? Oh, look, I I think the ability to communicate 
the things I truly believe in with passion and inspire, and, you know, and, and that gives me the ability to teach things and make something very complicated, very simple in a passion way, right? I think that's my superpower. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. What is the strangest thing you've ever eaten? Mm, maybe when I was in Africa, I ate uh, caterpillars. Uh, dead calip- caterpillars or, or alive? Dead. Okay. Yeah, they, they were dead. They, it's a delicacy there. Mm. They, were, they were dry. I wonder if I had anything even more strange than that. I, I might spurt out another one. <laughs> Who do you admire the most? Oh, boy. Uh, living or dead. Um, you know, I, I sure did admire my father, you know, for so many things. You know, and I didn't realize probably until, you know, later even, you know, how much I really admired him. You know, he was just a man of uh, such integrity. And, you know, something that's funny, we were just talking about this yesterday, my wife and I, uh, you know, that I'm so similar to him on is when he's done, he's done. You know, and, and I told a story, um, you know, it is, it is funeral and it was about, he was bowling and he was getting worse and worse scores and everything he tried. But my father wasn't a complainer. He didn't like cry about it, make excuses. It was one of the things I loved about my dad. He was very silent about his struggle. But he wouldn't just try. He was trying different things. And then one day, they're, my, they're driving home. And well, after um, bowling, they would always go eat somewhere, a restaurant. My mother was going, you're going the wrong way. You know, she always knew which way to go. He goes, I know where I'm going. You're going the wrong way. And he pulls on top of a bridge called the Highland Park Bridge in Pittsburgh. And he literally stops at the peak of the bridge. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, he goes around the back of the car, opens the trunk, and gets his bowling ball out. And he just drops, <laughs> drops it over the edge. <laughs> Splash. And he gets back in the car and says, I'm done bowling. He never bowled again. <laughs> never bowled again. That was my father. Anyways, you know, I, I have a lot of, you know, just an admiration, especially as I grow old, of, you know, my father and his wisdom. You know, I tell my kids all the time, you know, my dad told me, here's one of the things my dad told me, and this is advice for you because you're young in this industry, right? And I apply this, and everyone listening can apply this too. I get choked up thinking about it because his wisdom was so great. But So his whole thing was, is he loved baseball. And he said, you know, when you look at the greats, you know, they never followed the ball. They just knew where the ball was going to be, you know? And, and there's so much truth to that, right? And, and so I watched this uh, documentary on the great, the great ones or something, the greatest athletes. They were interviewing Wayne Gretzky. And Wayne Gretzky said the exact same thing. They said, look, you're not, he wasn't the fastest. He wasn't the quickest. He wasn't the, you know, you look at everything you would say makes a great uh, hockey player. He wasn't that. So what made him great? And it was his ability to know not where the puck was, but he somehow always ended up to where the puck was going to be. And how did he get there? When he was young, he would just watch hockey and he would trace the puck. He would trace the puck. He would literally watch again. He would just keep tracing the puck. He did that every, every, every game that he watched to the point where his subconscious just knew where the puck was going to be. Everyone's skating that way. And Gretzky's skating off this way, knowing the puck was going to end up there eight times out of 10 or whatever it is. In life, it's the same way. You know, know where the puck is going to be. And especially in, in medicine, healthcare, whatever it is, if you're skating towards the ball or the puck where everyone's going, you're probably going to miss it. You know, just know where it's going to be. 
you know, and I pray about that, you know, it's like, you know, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. You know, I want to know where it's going. That's uh, amazing advice. My, my last question for you is we, we see the world that's so sick out there and the stats are disgusting. If you had the power to change the world with three things, right? They appointed you the leader of the world and you had a power, this power, and you had three changes to make to change the world in the direction that it's been going into. What are those three things that you would implement into the world? <laughs> wow. You know, one of the biggest dangers is people not seeing themselves for where they really are at death's door or what I like to call is the death zone. So if I had a magical way to just wake everybody up to where they are, you realize that would change the world. Because the biggest danger is not knowing you're in the death cell. I sat on a Saturday morning, and I'm not into mountain climbing by any means. Matter of fact, I can't understand why people do it. And I watched this Everest show, a documentary about these three guys climbing Mount Everest. And they had their Sherpa. These are the guys that they hire to make sure that they, you know, are safe going up the mountain. They have a head Sherpa that stays back behind base camp. And he's the, he's the head of it all, right? He tells you what to do, when, when to, you know, do something, you need oxygen or not. So these guys were heading up into the death zone. So 30,000 feet is the mountain. 26,000 feet, the death zone starts. That means there's a zone from that point on where you can only spend so much time. Now, these Sherpas can spend more time because they live up at these altitudes than, you know, we can. But the Sherpa's job is to bring you in and out of this death zone successfully. They know and they know the signs of when you need to get out. So these gentlemen, they're up there. And when you get into the death zone, the goal, the peak of the mountain looks so close and it looks so obtainable, but it's deceiving. So now they're starting to slur their words and they're getting more and more lethargic and you can see it. And they're, the, the, the Sherpa are going, okay, we've got to turn around and they won't, they won't turn around. They're getting weaker away. They're convincing them. They're remind. They're like you know, reminding them of their wife and kids. Everything that they could have said to get these men to turn around, they wouldn't turn around. The Sherpa had to wait till they got so weak, and then when they literally were, they brought themselves to death unknowingly. They threw them on their shoulder and they dragged their bodies out of the death cell. They saved their life, but the one guy lost his nose, his fingers, his toes. They all ended up you know, with really bad things that happened to them. But the Sherpas saved their life. The point was, they didn't know they were dying. They didn't know they were dying. You're a Sherpa. So am I. Over telling people, you're in the death zone. Wake up. Because that's where America is. That's where a lot of, you know, civilized cultures are. Wake up. You know, but understand where you are. You know, if you have high blood pressure, you're dying. If you have, you know, I mean, so many signs and symptoms, we just think, oh, that little headache you're getting, the lack of energy. No, you're in the death zone. Wake up. So that would be number one, is waking people up. I had a magic wand to wake up everybody that you're in the death zone right now, you know, and get out now before you lose your nose, your fingers, your toes, right? I mean, whatever it is. So that's number one. Number two, I think that, you know, understanding just adding fasting into your life in some aspect, right? I can magically make everyone just fast one time a year, do an ex block fast, right? Imagine what that would do. Imagine what that would do to our society, you know? And then I would think if we could just get everyone just understanding 
the need for detox today. Imagine what that would do. Because I don't know if we could stop the level of toxins that are coming into our, you know, into our society. You know, of course, if I had the magic wand and I could stop all that, I would. But what I can tell them is if you just add a detox in, man, in a fast, what would that do? So there you go. That's beautiful. Uh, okay. So Dr. Pompa, where is the best place to find your work and to get your amazing book beyond fasting? Yeah. I mean, you, you can put a link for it, but you can go, to, uh, we don't have it on Amazon yet just because of publisher things, but uh, you can go to beyondfastingbook.com and you can pick up a copy. And um, if you go to my website, drpompa.com, you can you know find me there, my social platforms there. Uh, my Facebook fan page is dr.danielpompa. So if you're a Facebook person, you can go there and that, that'll lead you to Instagram and all that other stuff too. So there you go. Awesome. Well, so I've been studying health for 11 years. That's when I got into the health space back in 2008, 2009. And I love studying just like you. I want to spend all of my days just studying. And for the last 11 years, I've probably studied three hours on average every single day. And I don't say that to impress anybody. I say it to impress this point. I believe you are the most brilliant person, the greatest in the world to teach these tools. And your information is phenomenal. I feel like this. I feel like you are the Michael Jordan of the health space. And I am a rookie in the NBA getting coaching from Michael Jordan, getting mentorship from Michael Jordan. And I'm so grateful and blessed to have you as my coach, my mentor, to be a part of the Platinum Doctors. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was, I think, my favorite interview I've ever done. And I've heard some things you said on this podcast that I haven't heard you share before. And I've listened to all your episodes. So Dr. Pompa, I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and just showing up in this world. Well, like Michael Jordan, there's the ones that came behind them that exceeded him. And uh, that makes me happy, uh, you know, and from pain to purpose, man. You know, I, I just like you, right, just I didn't land here, you know, because of choice. You know, it, it chose us, didn't it? You know, so I appreciate the compliment, but I remind myself that, too. So thank you, Ben. I appreciate and love you, man. Thanks. Keto Campers, I really hope you enjoyed that episode. Look, I'm not done here. I told you I was going to add on to a, a missing piece that we, my responsibility, I failed to ask Dr. Pompa, and that's how do you break a block fast? Because like I said earlier, how you break that fast is just as important as the fast itself. So I'm going to break down real quick how I teach it to the members of my Keto Camp Academy and to my one-on-one -on -one clients. We do not want to eat too much food too fast once we break a fast, especially a block fast, meaning three or more days. The digestive system during this period has taken a complete break and it's repairing itself for that time. So here's the approach that I want you to follow to maximize the benefits. And there's a video also on my YouTube channel, How to Break a Block Fast, where I talk more about this. So if you want to watch that video, go to youtube.com slash ketocamp. But here's how you do it. Day one after the fast, if you weigh less than 200 pounds, consume about 500 to 800 calories. If you weigh more than 200 pounds, consume about 800 to 1,000 calories. And here's what we don't want to eat. Don't eat meat yet. Yes, you can add back your supplements, but no meat, no raw veggies, no grains on that day one of breaking your block fast. Instead, have these foods. I love berries, olives, cooked veggies, small amounts of fermented veggies. 
avocados, avocado oil, olives, olive oil, coconut, coconut oil, butter ghee, grass-fed yogurt or kefir, and even some cooked sweet potatoes and a katabo shake. Katabo shake is a keto-friendly shake with high-quality ingredients, which you could find over at ketocampsupplements.com. But that list right there is the list we want to use. And here's another caveat for that day one and day two. Keep your protein low to maximize stem cell production and still get some of that autophagy. So keep your protein for those two days after you break your fast under 20 grams. That's always best. Now, day two after you break the fast, if you weigh less than 200 pounds, consume 800 to 1,000 calories. If you weigh more than 200 pounds, consume 1,000 to 1,200 calories, and you want to eat these foods. You could have anything I mentioned for day one. Now you could add the following on day two. Raw nuts, raw seeds, grass-fed cheese. Raw cheese is great. And eggs, but just watch it with the eggs because one egg equals seven grams of protein. And you can have your coffee on day two with fat. That is optional. That is the list. That is the format. You might have to go back and kind of write this down. You could also watch the video on my YouTube channel, Keto Camp YouTube channel. Look, I really hope you enjoyed this information, this episode with Dr. Pompa. Like I said, this was one of my, probably it was, my all-time favorite interview that I've ever done. It was so informational. I want to encourage you to share this with a friend you know who's practicing fasting. Text it to them. You could just copy and paste that link into a text message. Text it to them. Take a screenshot of this episode. Post it on Instagram so Dr. Pompa and myself know that you listened to it. And tag us both. My Instagram handle is at TheBenazadi. Dr. Pompa's Instagram handle is at Dr. Pompa. Go get his book, Beyond Fasting. We're going to put links for that in the notes of this podcast. All the resources are in the notes of this podcast. We have Rachel who puts it all together for you. We have one of the best professionally done notes in the world, and we do it for you. So take advantage of that. And please go check out Dr. Pompa's work. Go check him out on YouTube. Go to drpompa.com. Connect with him on Facebook. Attend the next seminar, which is going to be in the fall, which is called HCF Seminars, and we'll have some information on that in the coming months. I'd love to see you at one of those seminars. It's the best health seminar that I've ever been a part of, so stay tuned for that. I want to let you know about my favorite keto snack in the entire world, these Paleo Valley beef sticks. They are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Many beef sticks and beef jerky companies out there claim that their product is grass-fed, but usually they're finished on grains. Paleo Valley, they live up to my high quality of standards, and I personally love the original flavor. I can't get enough of that. My girlfriend loves the teriyaki flavor. If we're running errands, traveling on the road, this is the perfect sidekick to keep us on course with our keto results. We have an exclusive deal for keto campers to get 15% off your entire first order by heading over to paleovalley.com, entering the coupon code KKA to get 15% off. That is paleovalley.com, coupon code KKA. I want to thank you for listening to this entire episode. Please leave it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Really appreciate you listening. You'll hear me on the next one.
This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.